As we start the message today, um, have you ever had those moments in your life where you had something planned to do, and you even believed that that plan was from God, and then you sat back and you realized, well, he had a different course for you? Um, well, I worked very hard on this message this week. Um, prayed over it, struggled with it. Um, I don't take the teaching of God's word lightly. And at 10 o'clock last night, as I was just trying to unwind and uh, get ready, I had an experience that I recommend highly. <laughs> I had an experience where um, the Lord kind of just said, you know, I want you to just pray through this passage that you're going to teach tomorrow a little bit more. So I went into my office, and I began to <laughs> pray over it more. And what I found was that the message that I prepared was not the message that the Lord had prepared for today. And so he rewrote the entire thing. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was sitting there like, okay, God, but I really worked hard on this. And he's like, yeah, I know you did, but sometimes the things that you want to say are not the things I want to say. And we're going to talk about how that plays out today in the life of one who submitted himself, uh, humbled himself, even to the point of death on a cross. Um, so what I want to do is I want to read John 19 with you all. The scripture that we're going to be studying through today, starting at verse 1. And I, I want you to know this, that what I just said to you is not an excuse in case you leave here today and you say, well, the message really was lame today. <laughs> I hope that that's not the case. Uh, what I hope more is that, you know, hey, you know, when God interrupts our life, it's a divine interruption. He made us. He can interrupt the scheduled programming anytime he wants. Verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard the saying, he was more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. Let's pray. Father, we've come to this place today, however we got here, with a deep need for you. When we look at the extent you went, Lord Jesus, 
how far you went for us. May we know that being here, just simply being here, is really no sacrifice at all, but a joy. A joy simply to be in your presence. It's the word of God speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Pragmatic wisdom says, and you've probably heard this, to be the change you want to see. Have you ever heard that? Be the change you want to see. Jesus said it better, and with a final authority behind it, when he gave us what many of us call the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do unto others as they do to you. No. No. Not do unto others as they do to you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But they did this. Pastor, you don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. You don't know how far they went. And so I need to respond. And all of a sudden, what you find is that the situation makes God's command negotiable. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves justifying, rationalizing, not acting like Jesus would have us. Somebody once taught me the word rationalize. It's made up of two words, rational lies. When we're trying to rationalize a course of action, because this is happening to me. And that's why I believe God really placed it on my heart as I looked at this passage to change it up to understand that the hatred displayed towards Christ in this moment what it serves for us is to magnify the love that he's showing us through all of the hatred. I mean, don't we come to a better understanding of love when we see hatred in the world? Don't we come to a better understanding and a better appreciation of love when you see the hate? Don't you have a greater appreciation for the joy when you see the misery? Don't you have a greater appreciation for forgiveness once the insult has been rendered and you see it extended. You see where we're getting today is that the more we realize the extent he was willing to go to for us, the more it should compel us to understand his love and respond to the world with that love. That's how we are called to respond. I can't love my neighbor as myself on my own. I don't have the capacity to do that. I definitely don't have the capacity to love my enemy as I'm commanded. I definitely, in and of myself, I don't have the ability to forgive someone 70 times 7. I don't have the ability when somebody strikes me on one side of the face to turn and, and to the other side until I understand that I'm not doing it because of a religious obligation, but because of the love of God that compels me. That's why. And that's what makes our passage today utterly compelling. So with each section we read, we're going to have one word of warning with one corresponding word of wisdom. One word of warning with one corresponding word of wisdom. So we begin reading. It's chapter 19, verse 1. We go back there, just reading the first verse really quick. So when Pilate took Jesus, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him scourged him stop right there he scourged him what does it mean to scourge someone according to the roman practice blows came from a whip with many leather strands each having sharp pieces of bone or metal attached to the end reducing the back to raw flesh and it wasn't unusual for the prisoner to die under scourging it usually preceded capital punishment. It literally tore man's backs into strips. And the Romans had perfected the practice. It was severe bodily punishment. Which is a little confusing. 
because he already said he found no fault in the man. What happened? Well, what we discussed last week when we look at Pilate, we see a man of compromise listening to other voices that have become louder. It's the voice of Tiberius Caesar. It's the voice of Herod. It's the voice of the people. It's the voice of the Jewish leaders. All of these voices, loud and magnified, have caused the man to compromise. And that's where we learn from Herod, and we get a word of warning that says, it'll go like this. The word of warning, the first word of warning says, don't compromise how you treat Jesus to appease the crowd. Don't compromise how you treat Jesus to appease the crowd. He found no guilt in the man. He found no fault in the man. So why did he do this? Well, again, to appease the crowd, some also suggest that the reason Pilate had Jesus scourged was actually to try to protect Jesus. Protect him? What do you mean protect him? Protect him in that, well, if the crowd saw him beaten, well, they would most likely have a little bit more sympathy and he'd be able to say, okay, here he is. I went this far and this is what I did. And now that should be good enough, right? Don't you feel bad for him? Look at how terrible he looks. Look at how hideous. The book of Isaiah says this. When it comes to the beating that Jesus took, 52 verse 14 says, Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. What did he go through? How far did he go for us? For us. And that's why when people say, you go to church how many times a week? You're reading your Bible. You're spending this time reading your Bible when you could be doing this. You're spending your time with the Lord when you, you could be doing that. And don't you think you're taking this Jesus thing too far? No. No, because he went all the way to a cross for me. And what we do now, we do because we're compelled by love. Because the Bible says, by his stripes, we were healed. What does that even mean? By his stripes, by the beating he took, by his stripes we were healed. Corson says it like this, crucifixion provides our redemption presently and eternally. But listen, it is the stripes Jesus bore and absorbed that actually released the grace of healing for our bodies physically. Ain't that cool? Listen to that again. Crucifixion provides our redemption presently and eternally, but it is the stripes Jesus bore, the beating he took as he was holding on to that pole, as they tied him to that pole, that you were on his mind, and it's that beating that he took. It says that it's those stripes that he took and absorbed that actually release the grace of healing for our bodies physically. So he tells you, turn the other cheek. Oh, I can't. Why? What did they do to you again? You see, so often we're compromising the relationship with God to appease the crowd. But last I checked, nobody in the crowd went to a cross for you. So the word of warning, the word of warning says don't compromise how you treat Jesus to appease the crowd. You'll never be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied if you spend your life trying to please people, trying to please the coach, trying to please the teacher, trying to please your parents, trying to please fill in the blank. You're trying to please everyone. And soon what happens is you realize that you can't please anyone. And so we start with God, and that's why the first word of wisdom that corresponds to the word of warning. If the word of warning says don't compromise how you treat Jesus to appease the crowd, the word of wisdom says this, when you know how much he loves you, you will quickly find that compromise never satisfies. When you understand how much he loves you, how far he went that he took those stripes and that you were on his mind, when you understand how far he went from you, there is nothing that will ever satisfy you like him. Fifteen years ago, I had a life-changing experience. It's not what you think. Whenever I would go to a fast food place, I would have a chicken sandwich. 
Burger King, McDonald's. I'd have a chicken sandwich when I went there 15 years ago. A life-changing experience. You ready for it, gang? It's called Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Chick-fil-A. I went to Chick-fil-A, and I'd never had a chicken sandwich like this in my life. I can never go back. I can never go back to McDonald's or Burger King and say, can I please have a chicken sandwich? No, you better give me a Whopper. You better give me a Big Mac because I'm not eating your chicken. Not after I've experienced Chick-fil-A. No way. Really spiritual, right? But maybe we can bring it here. How many ways have we compromised? I remember the music I used to listen to in the 80s. <laughs> wham. Yes, wham. <laughs> There was a song I remember years ago that came out, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat. And I still, for, for the life of me, have no idea what the song meant. I don't even know why I went there. But there's another song called Living on a Prayer, all right? Living on a prayer, that these people were just living on a prayer. They were just hanging on by a thread, living on a prayer. That's not what I listen to now. I'm not condemning you listening to it, but I want to share with you that now I'm listening to lyrics that sing, you're a good, good father. And that's what's being poured into my head. That's what's being poured into my heart. I consider anything now to be a, a less than that. And I don't want less than that. When I can hear lyrics that say, oh Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the roaring thunder, thy power throughout the universe display. Then sings my soul. My Savior, God, to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art. Why? Because now what's happening is that as I'm listening to music, it's just that my taste has changed because my heart has changed. My taste has changed because my heart has changed. And anything else, now I don't want to compromise anymore. I don't want to compromise. I know what a godly marriage is like. I don't want to compromise. I don't want to go back to the kind of relationships I had before ever. Because I've tasted and seen what God has to offer. And when you've eaten from his table, and when you've seen him, anything else will never satisfy you again. We talk about compromise. Last week we took a look at the story of Peter, right? And do you remember how Peter compromised when he was tortured by a... No, he wasn't tortured. He was questioned. Do you know Jesus? No, no, I don't know him. And then he actually cursed to deny him. That was last week. Something dramatic happened to Peter. You want to check it out with me? Leave John for a moment. We're going to go back there. So keep your place and go over to Acts 4. Now, Peter at this point has been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's preaching to thousands. He's no longer afraid. He's no longer a slave of fear. He is a child of God. And what's happening now, it says in verse 4, in verse 1, I'm sorry. It says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word of God believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Peter's preaching is savage at this point, and it came to pass the next day that their rulers, elders, scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as were as many of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem, and when they asked, when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power and by what name have you done this? Watch this, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people, the elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for good deed, none to a helpless man, by what, by, for what was done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given 
among men by which we must be saved. Is Peter compromising anymore? Is he holding back anything anymore? And when the leaders say, listen, we're going to forgive. We're going to forbid the name of Jesus. It says, verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what should we do with these guys? For indeed... That a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Listen to what happens next, verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot speak, listen, for we cannot speak, listen, for we cannot speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle had been performed. Stop right there. There's no more compromise. And we have to come to places in our life where we say, you know what? I don't want anything, anything at all to hold me back from God's will for my life. And the only way we ever come to that is not by going to church more, praying more, being in the Bible, but by spending time with God more, by enjoying his presence more. See, that's what I would ask you today. Are you enjoying the presence of God? I'm not asking if you picked up your Bible this week. I'm not asking if you prayed before your meal this week. I'm asking you, have you had time where you're just sitting there with his word open, just saying, I want to enjoy you today. I'm going to listen to some music. I just want to enjoy your presence. That's what happened last night. 10 o'clock, I was called into the room. I was, called, I was called into the office, and God was saying, listen, I want you to just sit with me. And when you sit with me and you enjoy me and you realize who I really am, that's when I'm going to start to make things clearer. And he did. I couldn't put my pen down. I couldn't stop writing. Oh, this is it. Have you had that? When you realize and you're just filled with his love? The book of Samuel tells us, Second Samuel, where David is bringing the ark into Jerusalem, that David was dancing before the Lord. He was swaying. He was dancing before the Lord, and he was celebrating God. And when he got home, his wife, Michal, said to him, that was ridiculous. That was embarrassing. He said, oh, it's going to get worse than that. It's going to get worse than that. I haven't even started yet. Man, that's what I want. And that's what God desires for you. The people would look at your life and say, that life right there, that's a celebration of God. And when you've experienced that, nothing else will ever satisfy you again. You see, that's the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom says, listen, when we realize, when we know how much he loves us, we, we can't compromise again. Don't compromise. Pilate had the man scourged. You want to know something sad? Do you know what Pilate is remembered for? this this is what he's remembered for it's said shortly thereafter in his life historians believe that it was just a couple of months later that he took his own life that's Pilate and that's a life of compromise let's read verses 2 and 3 let's go back to the book of John And it says, And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Let's stop right there. So these thorns have significance. Why? Because back in the book of Genesis, I just want to read something for you. I'm not going to ask you to turn there. But I want to read this. Verse 17. 
It says here, as the curse was pronounced on Adam and Eve, it said, Then to Adam God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and you have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Verse 18, it said, but thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. And when we think of thorns, what we think of is a blossom that never came into fruition. That's a thorn. It's a product of the curse. It's a blossom that never came into fruition, so that's what was placed gently on his head? I don't think so. If you saw the Roman soldiers in action, just what is depicted through history, these were cruel men. These thorns, historians have said, were anywhere between a half an inch to two inches thick. And most likely when they put it on his head, they pounded it into his head. And then they put a purple robe on, and then they, they, they smacked him. They slapped him. With the hand, listen, the hands he had created were smacking him. So the second lesson, the second word of warning we get, when we look at the soldiers and what they had become, Second word of warning says, don't harden your heart to the things of God. These men, I'm sure, didn't start out cruel. They started out as sinners, but I'm sure they didn't start out cruel. Yes, maybe as a soldier, they had taken a life on the battlefield. That's possible. Maybe they had orders to execute someone, but hear what we see? They were starting to enjoy their work. Why? Because a hardening had occurred. A hardening of the heart had occurred as they were being desensitized. There's all sorts of questions about the gun laws and violence in, in our world. But understand this. Cain killed Abel with a rock. Right? Cain took his brother and killed him with a rock. It was a state of the heart is what we see. What we see is that our generation is being desensitized by the violence on television. Yeah, you can change the gun laws. I'm not saying they shouldn't be harder. We're not going to get into that today. But what I would tell you is this, is that we've been desensitized. If my kids are playing a video game, they're playing a game like one of those, uh, I don't know, Grand Theft Auto or one of those war games. I, I don't even know. I'm so out of touch sometimes. But what they're doing is it's like they're just playing games where they're killing people that were created, images of people that were created in the image of God, right? Isn't that what they're doing? Are we kind of becoming desensitized to the whole thing? We're becoming desensitized. I stopped killing young. It was a frog. It was this big. It was a tree frog. And I had just been bought my first gun. I'd seen all the Dirty Harry movies. And so now I had this little BB gun. And there was a tree frog that would sit on our front porch right on the ledge. And so one day, I go out there. I just watched my Clint Eastwood movie. And... Uh, I aimed point blank. I was about two feet away from the frog. Got the thing right here. Shot it right in the middle of the, right in the middle of its eyes. Right? I see the tears. That frog jumped and landed on the front patio like this. Mom swept it away, and I was devastated, can I say. I was devastated that I had killed one of God's creatures. Three days later, Three days later, that frog 
was right on that ledge with that BB between its eyes. And every time I went to go into the house, that frog was right there reminding me. To this day, if there's a frog on the front porch, what I'll do is I'll kind of usher my wife and I'll kind of, chivalry is dead in my home. It's like I will push her in front so that she can, because she's not afraid of them, but I am because of that moment. But I can only imagine that if I would have enjoyed killing the frog, well, maybe I would have enjoyed killing something bigger. And what would happen is that maybe there would have been a gradual desensitization of my heart. And what we've seen in our society is we've hardened our hearts. It's the entertainment we watch. When I don't know when it became okay for us to sit there and watch movies where they curse God's name and to enjoy it. It's nothing. Oh, pastor, they don't mean it. It's just slice of life. It's just slice of life. That's how people talk in society. I know. And that's the problem because it's an attack on the name of God. When somebody bangs their fist with a hammer by mistake, I don't see them saying, Oh, Hitler! Ow! Or Hussein! Or anything like that. We don't see anything like that. What we do is we curse the name of God. It's the music we listen to. And now what what I don't want you to walk away from saying is, well, Corey, I went to church today, and yeah, it was encouraging, but the pastor said I can't listen to the music I listen to, can't watch the movies I watch, and I can't play the video games I like to play. That's not it. It's just a word of warning to say, listen, if we want the things that God has, what we don't understand is that the enemy puts us on autopilot, and we're becoming gradually desensitized by rationalizing, stepping away from the things of God. The soldiers, that's the word of warning. Don't harden your heart to the things of God because everything that goes into this filter is being processed, whether I realize it or not. And all sin starts somewhere. Adultery starts on your phone or on the TV. That's where it starts. And so with the word of warning, the corresponding word of wisdom says this, when you know how much he loves you, That love can pierce the hardest of hearts. And those are the greatest stories. See, there was one soldier, the Bible tells us, that saw what happened to Christ. And at the end of all of it, he stood on a hill, sounding a lot like John Wayne. Actually, John Wayne played this this the soldier in, in one of the movie called The Greatest Story Ever Told. And John Wayne gets up at the end of the movie and he says, Surely this man was the son of God. That's his only line in the movie. All right, his only line in the movie, Surely this man was the son of God. One soldier's heart was pierced by what he saw. And because of that, we remember that soldier's story. We remember that soldier's story because it's when God takes the hardest of hearts, the heart that you think is impenetrable, like the heart of a soldier that would twist a crown of thorns, ram it on his head, ridicule him, mock him. It's that heart that when that heart gets pierced, it's kind of like what happened with a man named Saul of Tarsus who was torturing Christians and putting them away and giving consent to their death. And now that heart is turned around and now there's no more Saul. Now he's Paul. That's how he's remembered through all of history as the the dramatic example of a life that Jesus could change. He can take the hardest of hearts, the hardest of hearts, and his love pierces through. Let me ask you, has your heart been hardened? Are you here today with a hardened heart? You've been hurt by life. You've been hurt by people that had authority over you, that that claimed to care for you, and you've been hurt. And because of that, there is a hardness, and there's been a desensitization. Then what needs to happen is a brokenness. And the only thing that I know that can pierce a heart like this is the love of God. Is the love of God. See, it's the love of God that we talk about that can compel us not to compromise. It's the love of God that can pierce the hardest of hearts and create the greatest stories. We're living in a day and age where Hearts are getting hardened by the things that we're seeing on the news. I see the story the other day of a three-year-old special needs child 
uh, that the original story was that she was left out to be with the coyotes because she wouldn't drink milk at night. Then it was found that the, that the father force-fed her milk and she aspirated and then he drove to hide the body. I, I, I can't fathom that. I can't wrap my mind around something that happened to harden somebody's heart like that. Every time you turn on the news, you're seeing male teachers looking at kiddie porn. And then you're seeing, you're seeing women teachers having sex with male students. And when you see that, I hope it does something here because if you're sitting there laughing at it, then that's the problem. Because we started laughing at things that the Bible looks at and Jesus weeps at. He weeps at adultery. He weeps when we take a look at sex and we reduce it to something less than what God had for it. He weeps at it. And he went to a cross because of it and he took a beating because of it. It's the love of God that when it takes over your heart, they can pierce the hardest of them. Verse 4. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find now no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. He made himself the Son of God. The religious leaders had a lot to lose by the success of Jesus. Yes? The religious leaders had a lot to lose by Jesus succeeding because what Jesus revealed when you look at him, Jesus, his teachings were with power and with love and the crowd was being won over to him. And as the crowd was being won over to him, they slowly realized that, well, maybe their religious leaders aren't necessarily so religious. Maybe they're not really men of God. Maybe they just dress up and maybe they just play the role. And so their legacy was being threatened. The truth of their lives was being threatened. Because if Jesus is right, then they're wrong. Not only are they wrong, but their fathers are wrong. Not only are their fathers wrong, but their fathers' fathers are wrong. And I find that that's part of the problem sometimes when people come into the church for the first time. They come into the church first time and just say, well, you know what? I'm going into church today, but they're just going to tell me that I need to change everything about my life. I'm going to have to change the way I talk. I'm going to have to change this. I'm going to have to change that. And I don't know that I want to hear that. Well, the Bible says that when it comes to what Jesus did, that he was harder on the religious authorities than anyone else. And it brings us to our third word of warning. Don't elevate your agenda above God's. Third word of warning, don't elevate your agenda above that of God's. Do you think that the punishment being called for fits the crime here? What did he do? And this is what Pilate is wondering. What did Jesus do that suggested that he should be crucified and suffer capital punishment? Pilate just keeps looking at the situation saying, I find no fault in him. What did he do? And yet you're asking us to kill him. And the religious leaders finally say, hey, listen, he broke our law. He broke our law. He ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Let me ask you, did they know that Jesus was God? According to Nicodemus, they knew that he came from God. They knew that he came from God because they'd never seen power like this before. They'd never seen the kind of power that they saw in the life of Christ before. And let me tell you that when the power of Christ comes into your life, 
When the power of Christ comes into your life, something happens and a light shines into the areas that you know need to change. And the thing is this, is that when the light was shown into their life, all they did was scatter. They didn't want any part of it because they had elevated their agenda above that of God. Their legacy was at stake. When I was in the theater, I had an agenda. My agenda? Well, I was going to be on Broadway. I was going to do film. And the one play that I was going to do was called Hair. And in Hair, well, there's full nudity on stage. There's full nudity on stage, and there is language in the play. And now as I'm getting closer to getting the role, I contact my childhood pastor, and I say, you know, Pastor Gary, I said, I'm really kind of conflicted. I mean, I haven't really been to church, but, you know, I don't know that I should necessarily be doing this, and there's something going on in my conscience. So Pastor Gary sends me a book by a guy named Oswald Chambers. This is not light reading. It's called My Utmost for His Highest. And so I pick up this book, and um, I read it, on the first page that I talked to, it says, deny yourself and take up your cross. No, I just, I don't want to do that. I just want to feel better about my decision. And I want somebody to tell me that the course of action that I'm taking is going to be okay because I have an agenda, and right now my agenda overrides God's agenda. Has that happened to you? Where you're like, hey, I know that there's some changes that I need to make in my life, in my relationship, in my work. There's some changes that I need to make, and I want to do it, and so I come to church, but then I hear something I don't want to hear, and it's like, I don't know. Can I say that the first thing that we need to do once, forever, and always is just come to the point where we say, you know what, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. And you sit before Him, and you watch Him do the rest. Don't elevate your agenda above that of God's. The corresponding word of wisdom that comes with that is that when you know how much he loves you, it's easier to give up the pen and let him write the story when you know how much he loves you. That's really the question. That's really at, the, at, the, at, the, at every problem that we have, the real question is this, is that do we know that he loves us and that he has a better plan for us even if we don't understand it? Do you think that Joseph in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, do you think that Joseph wrestled with that question? God gave him this amazing dream that his brothers, even his father, would bow down before him. He was given this amazing dream, and then one day he's thrown into a pit by his brothers. And then after he's taken out of the pit... Well, he's brought to work for a man named Potiphar, and then he's falsely accused of rape, and then he's falsely accused and thrown in prison. Do you think Joseph battled with this at some times, with the fact that God had given him a dream, that God had placed something on his heart? But God's plan was still working it out, and Joseph trusted it. It doesn't say that Joseph questioned it. Are you questioning what God's doing in your life today? Have you, are you still writing your own story? Because the Bible tells us about God that he's the author of life. Are you ready to put down your pen and say, okay, you know what? I've made a mess of things. I want change. I really do want that change. But are you struggling to give over the pen? You're only going to give over the pen when you realize that he loves you enough to go to the cross for you. The religious leaders were so threatened by him. Nicodemus was so afraid of their response that he even went to Jesus at night. He went to Jesus at night. This Jesus was dangerous. When you know how much he loves you, it's going to be easier for you to give up the pen and let him write the story. And there might be somebody in this room today that said, you know what, I want you to write part of it. <laughs> I want you to write part of it, but there's another part that I want to continue to author. All right? I don't want to necessarily give this up, but I, I'm only too happy to let you take over my finances, God. I'm only too happy to let you take over that situation, but there are parts of my life that I don't necessarily want you to write the story. I want to keep writing. And if you do, guess what? He's only too willing to say, okay, keep writing. Keep writing, and let's see how that goes. So the religious leaders are continuing to call for his death. Now something interesting happens 
in verse 8. It says, Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid, and he went into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from my Father above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Stop right there. When they tell Pilate, when they tell Pilate, well, he says that he was the son of God, Pilate starts getting afraid. Why? Pilate starts getting afraid because he might have just given God a beating. That's not a good thing to have on your resume. All right? That he, he might have just been the one that beat God. And again, this is the thing that he is forever remembered for. In 1972, a movie came out with John Wayne called The Cowboys. And it was one of the few movies that the Duke ever died in. All right? And there was an actor in that movie named Bruce Dern. Now, most of you have heard of John Wayne, but most of you haven't heard a lot about Bruce Dern. Why? Because he's the one in that movie that shot John Wayne. And during that time, you did not want to be the one that was known as the one that killed the hero of the story. You did not want to be that man. Years later in an interview, he would say, Bruce Dern would say, that, that move killed my life because everybody would look at me and say, there's the man that killed John Wayne. Well, how do you think they look at Pilate? How do you think that they look at Pilate? And Pilate looks at Jesus and he's interrogating him and he's saying, listen, don't you know I have the authority? And Jesus is saying, actually, no. No, you really don't. You think you do. You appear to. You appear to be in control right now. Yeah, I get that. But no, you don't have the authority over me. It's an interesting thing with authority. And it brings us to the fourth word of warning. And that is, don't forget who's really in charge. Don't forget. Because some of you are going through some things right now and you're wondering how it has come to this. How the situation that you're in has come, has gotten to this point. You're wondering if you're going to be able to stay in your house. You're wondering if you're going to be able to stay in your living situation. You're just wondering what's coming next. Things seem to be spiraling out of control. And if they're spiraling out of control, then don't forget who's really in charge because God has never stopped being in charge. And this is what Jesus has to remind Pilate of. Listen, don't think that you're in charge here. You could have no power at all unless it had been given to you from above. So you're not getting treated fairly at work? People are speaking to you away. This is disrespectful. This is not fair. Three words that you never hear Jesus utter. You ready for them? It's not fair. You never hear these words come from Jesus' mouth. Rather, he's submitting to authority, but in submitting to Pilate, what he's really doing is submitting to God. I saw a Facebook thread the other day from a Christian saying, well, you know, the, the last couple of elections were corrupt, and the person that's in power shouldn't be in power. Listen, God hasn't left the throne. Nobody put anything past God. So when Obama was president, it was because God said Obama should be president. And if Donald Trump is president, it's because God has allowed him to come into the presidency. Are you struggling with that? Then you're not struggling with the person. You're struggling with the one who allowed it, right? So the struggles that we're going through in this life, think about it. Everything, nothing has gotten past God. Yes, I tell God about my situation, but it's not because he's forgotten. God, you know the struggle that I'm going through? You know that I'm concerned about my future in this way? It's not because you've forgotten. It's not because he's forgotten. He's God. See, the corresponding word of wisdom says this. When you realize how much he loves you, in his sovereignty you'll find peace. During the turmoil, during the storm, You'll have that same peace that Jesus had during the storm when he was sleeping on the boat and the disciples were scared to death. Do you have that peace in this life? Do you? 
Or have you stopped believing that God is in control? Because sometimes when we take a look at the world, we take a look and we say, well, God, where, where was he when this happened? I marvel when I consider that God knows how many stars are in the sky, how many grains of sand are on the beach. Scientists don't know that. You know that, right? Scientists, at best they can do is guess where we came from, how long we'll be here, how many stars are there. And every time they get new technology, every time they get a a greater telescope or something like that, what they realize is how much they don't know. That's why the science books keep changing for our kids. First edition, second edition. The second edition is wrong before before the third edition comes out. And it's crazy. But God knows all of it. You're in an uncertain situation right now. He knows the outcome. Have you given it to him? Have you given it to him? Have you said, you know what? Just like Jesus said to Paul, you have the authority. You have the authority. The Kennedy files have just been released. And guess what? It's revealed that they have still no more idea about what happened than they did back then. How many years later? They still have no clue. They've got thousands of papers and no idea what happened. They still don't know where Jimmy Hoffa is. Guess who does? Guess who does? Guess who it's not a mystery to? You don't know if you're going to have a job tomorrow. Guess who knows? God knows. God knows exactly what you've been, what you're going through now, and he knows exactly where you're going. He has full authority. He knows how many licks it takes to get to the Tootsie Roll and the Tootsie Roll Pop. He knows all these things. He knows all these things. When you lose your keys, he knows where they're at. How many of you have stopped and prayed for your keys? When I first met my wife, she was this God-fearing gal. She was this incredibly God-fearing gal. And I gave her my phone number. And I hadn't heard from her. So I got a little anxious, and after a few days, I called her. Now, her mother answers the phone and says, you know what? She goes, I'm so glad you called because she lost your phone number, and we've been praying to find it. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's one I haven't heard before. I had many girls tell me they lost my phone number, but I never had one say I was praying to find it. Well, we're married today. Okay. (laughs) Amen. Last point. Okay. (laughs) Verse 12. (laughs) She loves me. She. she. (laughs) From from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, (laughs) saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour he said, Behold your king. Again he brings him out, but they cried out, Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. This is a simple point, and it's the last one. You ready? Don't forget your role in the decision to send him to the cross. Don't forget your voice in the crowd. Don't forget your responsibility. I was impressed years ago when Mel Gibson came out with the movie Passion of the Christ because there was an outcry and there were many people that were not happy with the film because they said that he was uh, he it was an insult to the to the Jewish community um, because there was a line in the movie that says let his blood be on us and our children which is what the Jewish leaders had actually said but Gibson made a statement in that film and if you watch the film, what you'll see is that when the hand is raised to drive the first nail into his hand, well, Gibson, he made sure that that was his hand in the scene. And there was a reason for that. 
because we all had a hand in it. We all had a hand in it. In a way, we were all in the crowd that day. And if we wouldn't have said taking him to the cross, we had no shot at eternity. See, the last word of warning says, don't forget your role in the decision to send him to the cross. But the last word of wisdom says this, when you realize how much he loves you, you will never want to be without him. You'll be thankful for that cross. You'll look and you'll say, you know what? I thank God he went to that cross because a sinner like me needed it. I didn't deserve it, but by his grace, he did it because he loved me. And because of that, I want my life to be different. I want to love differently. I want to love better than I've loved before. I want to forgive more than I've forgived before. See, that's the right realization when we realize how much he loves us. When you know he loves you, and when, when that becomes the truth of your heart, then it changes the way that you respond to the world, and that's what the world needs. They don't need us shooting hate back and forth over social media. It's ridiculous. It's childish. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's the only thing that there is, just too little love, and you wouldn't find it hard. You wouldn't disagree with that. But the only thing that's going to change the climate out there is the love of God and knowing that love of God here. That's the only thing that's going to change out there. Let me ask you something. Has anybody ever won respect by showing disrespect? Has anybody ever won love by being hateful? I want to close you today with the story of a man named Jackie Robinson. I read the story last night again. So the story of Jackie Robinson, and with him, Brooklyn Dodgers President Branch Rickey is one of the most powerful tales American athletics has to tell. Robinson overcame what seemed like insurmountable obstacles, not only by playing outstanding baseball, but even more significantly, listen, by not retaliating when treated with rank injustice and racism. Branch Rickey signed Robinson to the Brooklyn Dodgers, he broke the color barrier in baseball long it was f before it was fashionable to do so. And if you consider that it was the year 1947, it was a year before President Truman ordered U.S. military desegregation, seven years before the U.S. Supreme Court rendered its decision in Brown versus the board, ten years before Eisenhower used the U.S. military to enable the Little Rock Nine to attend Central High School in Arkansas, 16 years before Martin Luther King made his I have a dream speech. But the thing about the story of Branch Rickey and Jackie Robinson that too many miss is that they shared, they shared a belief and a deep faith in Jesus. See, Robinson was a Christian and his Christian faith was at the very center of his decision to accept Branch Rickey's invitation to play for the all-white Brooklyn Dodgers. Branch Rickey himself was a white, Bible-thumping Methodist whose faith led him to find an African-American ball player to break the color barrier. And the two men had a passionate faith in Jesus Christ. His desire was to change the game, and his strategy, listen, church, because this is the strategy that will once, forever, and always win. And it's what we see as Jesus takes that beating. His strategy was non-retaliation to follow a Jesus-like pattern and that would require him to find someone with a deep faith and proven character. Branch needed a man committing to living the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 5, 38 through 41. The teachings that Jesus himself embodied on his way to the cross where he says, Jesus said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go two. Branch Rickey was aware that it was going to be emotionally excruciating work. And when he met Robinson for the first time to explore the possibility, he grilled him for hours and made him make a commitment to three years of non-retaliation. 
Three years of non-retaliation, Ricky pointed out to him the biblical account of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and Branch Ricky told Robinson, we can't fight our way through this, Robinson. We've got no army. There's virtually nobody on our side. There's no owners. There's no umpires. There's no newspapermen. And I'm afraid the fans are even going to be hostile. Together, with the love of Jesus Christ, they changed the game forever. And not only did they change the game, they changed the world. See, it's the love of Jesus that we see displayed in this passage despite the hatred that has the capacity to change the world but also to change your lives. But that starts with you getting right with God. So you're here today and you hear this message and you're like, I can't believe he went through all that. The more you say, I can't believe he went through that for me. And if that describes you and you've heard that today and you've said, you know what, there is a God in heaven. I believe it. I believe that he loves me. I believe that he loved me so so much that he took a beating for me, that he went to a cross for me. And it is that sacrifice that makes it possible for us to enjoy eternity with him. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Is he a good father? If he's a good father... What we're going to do in a moment is we're going to sing that song, Good Father. And if you're one here today and you came without relationship to the Father, you don't have a relationship with the Father right now. You're le- you came in today not knowing if you were going to heaven. You can leave here today knowing that you know that you know that you're going by simply receiving the gift of eternal life. By coming to that place where you say, I know I'm a sinner, making you no different than anybody else here, and saying, I need a Savior. If that describes you, And you came in today not knowing if you were going to heaven. You can leave here knowing with 100% assurance that you're going to spend eternity with the God, the King of heaven.